0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom slash agony.
1: So, so, uh, I just wanted to open it up by asking, uh, Heather, what uh, what are you working on now?
2: Oh, um, well, I am go- I'm going to the Blue Heaven Novel Writing Workshop in September. And what the hell is that? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Char- Char- Charles Coleman fin- Finley uh, started it. And uh, usually it's him and uh, Toby Buckell is another um, regular at this. And it's a week-long workshop where you take a whole-, a whole novel. It's on Kelly's Island in Ohio. So it's in Lake Erie, like a little tiny... Hmm. You know, spitting distance from Canada. It's kind of like how? It's actually quite pleasant. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to be there more than a week, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good for focusing on the writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, This I, is I, California I, talk,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: I got to go a few years ago, and I was very pregnant apparently there 's a lot of drinking going on, so i didn 't do that last time, so I look forward to that aspect but <laughs> I, f- I hear it focuses the the writing uh, but you take a you take a, a a novel and everybody critiques the first fifty pages and then two people do the whole novel and that way you can you spend all this money to go to a workshop and you 're not just getting a story critiqued, you get a whole novel critiqued and This is my second attempt at actually writing a novel, so I find it really useful to have you know 12 opinions on the beginning and two other people who you know know what they're talking about talk about the whole book and tell me you know other writers giving you feedback it's
1: so the whole book is finished you're just going no, to get revisions well how can we well they it will continue? be it will be will be okay yeah. Yeah. How, well how many people go to this thing
2: i think it's about 10 or 12 and uh you know they they split it up the you know, the boys hut and the girls hut and we get together and there's really good food and um, you know, are,
1: are they mostly genre writers? Or? Oh yeah, sorry,
2: it's all science fiction and fantasy writers. Oh, it is. Yeah, um, you can you can bring other stuff. I think they'd let you, but uh, it's pretty much all science fiction and fantasy. So um, yeah, uh, Tim's been Tim Pratt, my husband's been a few times. Yeah. No, once yeah. T. A. Pratt, sorry, <laughs> or whatever whatever name the you know editors out there make him come. With
1: well, that's that's a good recommendation. Tim's a pretty successful novelist. Oh yeah, I mean, they,
2: you know, you got Toby Buechel going. Um, uh, Greg Van Eekout has gone and uh, is going. I think again, you know, So there's there's you know some some up and coming writers, some people who've been around the block a few times and cool. Um, yeah, it's it's nice, like I said, to get to get a uh, feedback from people who, uh, if if you know if they don't know what they're talking about from their own writing, at least you know everyone's read. Novels a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well-versed in the genre. It sounds
3: kind of interesting because it almost, you know, clarions for sort of beginners who don't know what the hell they're doing. This sort of sounds like clarion for people who do know what they're doing. Yeah. I just want to do, like, the next thing.
2: Yeah. And if you're going to spend all the money to go to a workshop, you know, if you sell the novel, you'll get the money back and then some. Know, where is well <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, whereas well depends on where you sell it. You would, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. So it's only five hundred <laughs> <laughs> bucks, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> the airfare is different. <laughs> do you? Uh, what about you, Richard? Do you? Do you ever workshop stuff? No. <laughs> Have you ever?
3: Uh, <laughs> no. you, you've taught at Clarion, right? I've been to Clarion. I've been to a couple of workshops since then, and I. Clarion was great. It was like the perfect thing at the perfect moment for me. What was the moment? And then nothing workshop-like since.
1: What was the moment? Did you go to Clarion before you'd published anything? Yes, yes. So this is a
3: while ago. Clarion was literally the first time I sat down and tried to write a serious, genuine short story. And I got in on the first one I ever tried to write, which was very encouraging. And then everything I wrote after that was just destroyed, um, both by the critics and and really rightfully so. You mean by
1: your colleagues? By my
3: colleagues there and really for years afterwards. Um, (laughs) What Clarion did for me, though, was not teaching me how to write. Um, It was really more a process of learning to critique myself, other people, other things in the world, and not being afraid to look at something, to analyze it, and say, this is shit. Or, even if I don't like this, I recognize that it is quality for what it is. It's like Star Trek. Like, I I hate Star Trek, but I went to see the new Star Trek movie because I'm a media whore. I never and met anybody who hated Star Trek before. F- oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I recognize, even though I don't like Star Trek, I recognize that the, that, that movie that just came out is... Uh, a very good object. So I, I can sort of, that's kind of the thing that Clarion, I think, is good at, is sort of letting you kind of, s- giving that, that way of stepping back and kind of going, okay, I can see this thing. At the same time, I will say something, and I don't know who's, who listens to these broadcasts or what, I'll say one thing in criticism of Clarion, and I, and I think they've changed this since, since we went, and I think Pat knows about this. There is sometimes this this, a certain amount of criticism that comes up, and is a certain piling on that can occur, especially mm-hmm. for a newer writer. And you can really be told, and I was in fact told, give it up. You don't have a kid. And by what one of carried the professors
1: me. professors or by the, your. Colleagues? Yeah,
3: I'm not going to say who and the circumstances, but I, I was what. literally told, <laughs> forget it. And the only thing that carried me through was just the fact I was a little prick. <laughs> and i mean i sort of live the first 20 somewhat years of my life on just complete arrogance and um you know so i don't know who, again i don't know who listens to this thing so for anyone who gets told to just give it up and walk away maybe don't maybe you do suck i mean you have to face that possibility but there's a very good chance you don't and um The other trick about critiquing, and we haven't talked about this a little bit at dinner tonight, is it's as important to learn who not to listen to in critiquing as it is to learn who to listen to. There's critiquing that helps and there's critiquing that kills you. (laughs) I know Pat went through that. It was a real specific story where you got your ass kicked, and it wasn't until you went back before all the helpful critiques that you saved the story. Well. It was uh, women, women in the Trees.
4: Women in the Trees, the second person doesn't work. Can't do it that way. Got to turn it into first person or third person. And I did my damnedest, and then I went, oh, fuck that. <laughs> this is not the story. I was writing it in second. And written, it, it, you have to, but the criticism was very helpful, and it forced me to realize what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it, it, basically it's listening to the criticism enough Figure out what it's telling you about what you're actually doing. And then you can discard it. Or it's all, it's all,
3: uh, it's all focusing. Right. Learning, learning to listen. In different what, what's helpful and what's getting in the way. And that, I think, is the hardest thing to learn yeah. is the helpful criticism versus the hurtful criticism.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there, we have another uh, clarionite who's a published writer. Cliff, how do you stand on this stuff?
5: Uh, I have a distinct memory Richard at fourth week of Clarion taking my story and saying this is shit as the start of this and, uh,
3: uh, but I didn't say you were shit that's the, no, that's that's the we all write and, shit from uh, time to time you know and, and
5: he told me later he, he did that to me because he knew I could take it <laughs> no, he introduced that I'm not quite sure
1: he <laughs> can uh, tell by your outfit yeah yes. yeah I don't
5: know uh, yeah, I was actually saying uh, at dinner earlier that um, the story that is coming out in July in an anthology is one that as I wrote it and finished it, I said my clarion class would hate this beginning mm-hmm. uh, because it's a slow cinematic beginning and there isn't a line of dialogue or in fact a character for two pages at the opening. And yet I knew it was the right beginning and if I workshopped that story, uh, which I didn't, um, I would have, and, and you know, everyone had told me to change the beginning. I wouldn't have because I knew that that was not. My wife hated that story, by the way. But that she hated the whole premise of the anthology. She used to like stuff. But, <laughs> uh, but I had a couple other friends read it, and they liked it. And I was damned if I wasn't going to send it off after.
3: There you go.
2: I mean, well, sorry. It's. it's, I think that I noticed that the last Blue Heaven I'd gone to, uh, there does become a group think with a a, a regular workshop. By the time they workshopped my novel, um, I wanted to just start. You're not allowed to talk, of course, when you're being critiqued. But I wanted to just say before we start, I know I need to cut the first chapter because I knew from the week, like that was what everyone was saying. Like you know, you start here at the action and you can't have this buildup. And, and in this case I thought it was they were right but um, you know that it was really interesting when I got home from Blue Heaven because um, I have always been under the impression that you know, if a lot of people say it it must be true but uh, I really Bush got elected yeah, right? I know. <laughs> but I, you know, I came home and my husband Tim Pratt gave me his critique, and he wasn't there th- for the week of listening to everybody say the same thing, and his was so fresh and so different, and he saw different things in the novel, uh, and I, I realized, oh, wow, I've really got to, like, rethink what, you know, how I weighted their responses to you decided
1: novel. not to leave him.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I liked his better, actually, <laughs> but... Um, but, yeah, I, it sort of, you yeah, know, and I've been in a regular workshop as well and, and situation, and sometimes you're like, oh, you know, they, they always hate this. You know, they, they want this to be this way. And, and so, you, yeah, you do have to learn to, like, what, what your group think has become and be really aware of that.
1: Now, Pat, you're in a, a, a workshop with professional writers in the Bay Area, right? Well, I heard that, but I mean, even if it, uh, but when it works, how's that different from a, a learner's workshop, or is it?
4: Um, it's more interesting because I think people, uh, people come in, there, there's a little, I think there's a little less of the group thing, hmm. but I, it sounds like the Blue Heaven is very much a professional's workshop, but it's just my particular group so many pig-headed people in <laughs> so many different directions. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, one of the things I was thinking, listening to Heather, is I think it's interesting that there, I think there are, um, I don't know whether it's generations or different different workshops along the way, where it's like, okay, there's the Sycamore Hill workshop and mm. different people go to that and then, but it's I hadn't even heard of Blue Heaven. which sounds really interesting. sounds like an interesting way to work on novels. But you get different groups of people together and different uh, ideas coalesce. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see that in, like, Turkey City. You see that in, um, I mean, I used to love to workshop with Bruce Sterling because it's like, Bruce, what you just said has nothing whatsoever to do with what I wrote. <laughs> but it's really interesting. <laughs> I'd like to read the story that you were reading. Yes. I that it wasn't the one I wrote. But, I mean, yeah. you just get just get I I love workshops where um, I think for me it took me a certain number of years writing to get to the point where I could go fascinating observation doesn't relate to my stuff Mm -hmm. at all interesting uh, I'll write that one down and think about it for a different story oh that one kind of resonates yeah you know and filtering that, so I think it's. I think it's, yeah. it's interesting to think about
2: filtering. Oh yeah, and different people are good for different stories. You know, I, I have a friend who cannot critique my urban fantasy to to oh save yeah. his life. You know, but if I have something with more science fiction, it's perfect. And uh, and so yeah, you've you got to really judge it on on its complicated algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. is is what
1: you just read is that an urban fantasy or science fiction?
2: A little of both. Is that is that fair? I I I you know I I not a hard science fiction writer obviously, but I, it's set in the near future and it it does have to do with it does you know borrow from hard science fiction you know the Jackie yeah
3: it felt like science fiction okay. to me.
1: Well, if it's if it's magic, it's fantasy. If it's pills, it's science fiction, right? Urban science fiction you that? There you go. is that
2: the <laughs> <a laughs> category? Did didn't they call that cyberpunk? Yeah, I guess so. I, I I always, I tend to write f- urban fantasies, so it's hard for me to call it, so I, I guess it's, I guess that's where I'm falling, falling down here. But, uh. It's
3: it's all marketing, you know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> we're not punk, we're New Wave, we'll make more money.
2: It's whatever huh. the editor says it is.
3: <laughs> it's not the editor, it's the marketing people, oh, yeah. okay. You are what they say you are. Right.
2: What's, yeah. what's your book? oh it's
3: very urban fantasy that's the only reason i sold the dark urban fantasy that's the only reason i sold the thing and i got the deal i got i mean why they went ahead and bought three books because it was you know it's that it's in terms of let's talk business for a second urban fantasy and kids books young adult books that's the only place that's they're they're selling fiction right now i happen to have the right book in the right time at the right place. It's taken 20 years, but like that weird <laughs> convergence happened. So there's
0: a there's a woman with a be- off the off the back dress showing her shoulders and her neck. and Put her heads cut off on the cover.
3: Next one, <laughs> next one, <laughs> <laughs> next one.
1: Now what's what's cover. the setup on you? So the guy goes to hell, but he's not dead. I I didn't quite. Yeah. Get
3: um. That. What, what's what's basically happened is um he was uh. Magic is part of L.A. There's a sort of subculture of magical people called the Sub Rosa, and they sort of live, they're like regular people, but they just sort of live in this kind of hidden hidden world. They all know each other, and he was part of a particular magic circle. It was, you know, they were young, and they were experimenting, and basically he was sort of like, he was in sort of competition with one of the other powerful uh, magicians in the group, and basically to, to fox him to get more power, the uh, other magician made made a sort of deal with some guys in hell, fed him Stark, got power for it, and so Stark ended up in hell. But the whole <laughs> premise was he didn't die, that he was a living human being stuck in hell for all those years. But and that and that plays, that's actually a very, that's difference between being a lost soul in hell versus being a living human being in hell is an important part for the rest of the series, that that... Strange, strange now thing how happened. How they sent
1: him to hell? I, I didn't get. It. They
3: ate him? No, 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 no. The, actually, this, I, we're not. We didn't get to that part. where basically, literally, they, they were, they were, they were had a magic circle. that They, they oh. were doing a spell, and all of a sudden, these little dudes popped up and just grabbed his ankles and just, like an ant down line. he went. Oh, hmm?
1: Okay, like an ant line. Did there you, ever you go. See one of those, they pull them down. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. Just, that's exactly okay. what happened. Did
1: anybody ever read a Salmon Ing story about There was a circle of cannibals, people that were. Hmm. Wonderful story wonderful story no. uh, but you don't figure out till the very end what's going on and they they're basically make like, like this gourmet cook club <laughs> and they get <laughs> together but what they do is they uh, it, it's cannibalism but it leads to this magical visions or mm. something it, it's it's creepy because it's done well you know because they're all creepy because of the way they're done right His you know, right this, uh, anyway that's that's interesting what's the title?
3: The book is Sandman Slim. And then this the, the, the rest of the series will be Sandman Slim with a um with a little subtitle. So the second one the first one's Sandman Slim. The second one at this point is Sandman Slim Maps to the Dead Stars Homes. And so <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. All right. Huh. Yeah.
2: Uh, I've been published in Strange Horizons. Uh, I have had a couple stories in polyphony anthologies. And uh, I have a little chapbook out in the lobby. <laughs> um, mostly, you know, so a couple of small online venues. Uh, I've had escape pod podcasts of, of some of my uh, you know, lighter stories, which is skewed the vision of how I write. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I've, I've just, I have a handful of, of respectable short stories around um and uh, i think i linked most of them off of hlshaw.com which is my website
1: well well you know i've been a, a professional writer for 20 or 30 years and i thought i knew all the ways that publishers had to humiliate writers but i'd never heard of hupta gupta before oh tumba rumba so, uh, <laughs> so that was new to me i i thought i had gone through, i thought i had jumps through every wicket no area. i think that's
3: brilliant i <laughs> mean it's, to just have this thing extension. pop firebrush up extension because yeah, you have to volunteer for right you have to install the extension so you're volunteering yeah. to have these stories just sort of yeah like
2: finding
4: a mystical passage the back of the wardrobe i mean it's like whoa all of a sudden i am mean,
3: it's yeah. almost as good. Do you know, you know what the other uh, extension that you can put on Firefox where the unicorn with rainbows will, will sort of pop up randomly on your screen? Oh, no. And it's great to do to other people's computers without telling <laughs> them.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody else here uh, done writer's workshops and stuff? Or is it uh, – you have?
0: I was an editor, guest editor for writer's workshop. And it was really interesting like i did some like personal critiques and this one woman it was at a general writing workshop but i was the you know the genre editor and so got a bunch of people who never had any feedback from like genre circles so they had writer circles with people who weren't genre readers and so this novel was kind of like a portal fantasy you know m- middle-class woman goes to fantasy land and i was like why did you set it up this way like what, what were you trying to accomplish with, you know, using this technique or this idea? And she's like, well, all my people in my writing circle said it would be easier to identify with if it was a character from the here and now. And I was like, well, that's a major distancing device like that distance you from this fantasy world that you're creating. So these non-genre readers that, you've, you know, that don't read fantasy fiction are telling you to do this thing.
1: To do what thing now?
0: Make a device so that, like, it's a contemporary middle class woman thrust into this fantasy world, kind of like a portal fantasy thing.
1: Like Stephen King.
0: Like that, or Stephen (laughs) Donaldson. (laughs) Okay. And and I was just like, well, if you want to write a fantasy novel, maybe you shouldn't get feedback from people who don't read Mm -hmm. fantasy novels. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, because for me, as a fantasy reader and a genre editor, that's a distancing device, and I don't like those types of stories because it is distancing, and it Mm -hmm. reinforces that it's this type of thing and so that's why you know this these first five chapters aren't working for me or you know be better if you just drop that and you got an interesting world here do that but she was listening to the wrong people and so that was kind of like my experience with like writers
3: what kind of fantasy world was it because my the, the few times i've tried to write like real traditional sort of fantasy world fantasies i've always abandoned them because like the last time i tried to write an early version of um uh, butcher Bird. I actually tried to write in the style, much more of a traditional fantasy style, and there came a point in which they walked into a tavern, and I knew sooner or later Flag there was going to be dragons. a goddamn wench was going to show up, and I was going to fucking have to kill someone. And so, I, I, I am a wench-free zone, and that is why I don't think I can ever write, you know, a, a traditional fantasy because there will be. A wench lurking in the background, ready to ambush me somewhere. And
1: you'll be served in a flagon. Yeah, well, I'll have a flagon of ale served <laughs> by
3: a wench, yeah. man. Yeah, that's tough. Or mead. No, even worse, I'll have a flagon of mead. <laughs> right. I if
0: there's an orphan in that
3: tavern. Oh, yes, a, a plucky orphan with a. A, a secret.
0: Now, now, if the orphan with the secret is also a rent boy in that tavern, does that make it
3: better? <laughs> well, then it's a John, then it's an M. John Harrison story, and that's and that's always a good thing.
1: <laughs> All right. What about you, Amelia? I went to Clarion in two thousand four.
4: Um, I have a local group of writers, and it's fascinating. I, I showed them a story of mine recently. in which It's two writers two writers, they're writing about one another, it's very clear that they're writing about one another. And I showed it to my genre readers, and they said, we need more signposts, we don't know what's real. <laughs> we don't know which is the real story, what, where's the real story. And I showed it to Gary Wolf, um, and my co-worker Eliza Trombie, at Locus, and they said, I don't know what they're talking about. You, you have enough sign markers, you might have too many. So, it's goes the other way around if you show a mainstream story to genre readers they're reading the story that they want to see mm-hmm. yeah. reader
3: expectations it True, comes down, down to expectations. Yeah. I, f- I found that out with, with the, especially writing sandman slim it's like a lot of the stuff a lot of the crime fiction for instance that i've read that's influenced this very stripped down kinds of writing um and uh there isn't a lot of sort of emotional explanation, but then putting it in this fantasy context, I kept getting requests along the way of like, you sort of need to give us a little more of a key here. You need to sort of show us a little more here. Because it's not, it, it is again, yeah, that expectation of an audience to want to know that one other little thing that I would never, normally never put in to uh, my prose, but. Um, or it would be in a crime novel. Or would be in a Jim Thompson novel you know, um, so, yeah, or a Richard Stark novel, right. <laughs> it's so awesome.
0: Yeah. You're writing, like, Richard Stark slash Vic. It's so cool. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's
3: exactly what it is. Yeah, Cliff.
5: The, kind of the best advice I ever got about advice in a workshop, uh, and I don't even remember the source of it. Louder. About a third of the comments that you get on a, any given story from a workshop are garbage, and you and don't buy, and you should ignore them. The other two thirds, maybe you know, they, they won't. That first third won't make sense to you. I mean, not that they're bad comments, it's just that they won't work the way you work, mm-hmm. and they won't be useful to you as a writer, and they won't help you write a better version of a you story. Right? They might help somebody else write a better version of their kind of story and um, not necessarily the comment, you know, but they are not going to be helpful. And two-thirds maybe, you know, would be helpful. comments.
1: Is this the advice you got or the yeah, lead-up no, to it's the, the advice? Somebody was – Oh, okay. <laughs> this, was a, this was a piece advice, of –
5: Advice a, a, it, was a, it was a piece of meta-advice,
3: yeah. Well, one thing that could be interesting from what you were just talking about, I mean, there is always that percentage of just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know what story you read yeah. of mine. Um, this is nothing to do with what I wrote. Thank you. Go away. <laughs> is that kind of critique but, you know, but, she but, would but say then thank you hang around right. <laughs> but then but then there is the stuff there's, there's a criticism you get that doesn't apply to the story you just wrote and can be puzzling at the moment even annoying at the moment but the weird part sometimes that comes out of that is 6 months later or the story you write down the road mm-hmm. that one weird thing someone said can suddenly apply in an unexpected way to something that happens later on and that can be really valuable just this thing that seemed like noise at the time could suddenly sort of uh come back on you in a in a good way but uh i still don't go to workshops and i won't
1: <laughs> anybody else have any um any wisdom on these issues jacob you've done this right
6: Years ago, Clarion style, uh, taught by a professional science fiction writer here in the Bay Area, that was just dreadful. (laughs) Dreadful. (laughs) A, a workshop can't help you unless there's talent there. Uh, meaning my writing, meaning uh, the writing of other people in the class. I mean, there was, just, there was just no good writing being done. We were all people who were not prepared to be professionals at that point in time being asked to write one story a week for six weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just uh, a lot of gibberish. I think you have to know what it is you want to do. steadfast and uh, stick it out. I think in my experience, I've taken several courses and things. Uh, there's always one or two points that are very interesting. That, that if you can, if it makes you figure out what you need to do, then it's good advice. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, if it's, if it's how someone else would write your story, it's not necessarily you would write your story. You have to just look for what helps.
1: Yeah.
6: And, and really good writers will, I think, are defined by the fact that they finish a story and go on and write the next one. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, more amateurish writers are defined by the fact that they keep working on one story for five or ten years.
3: Just I had a friend that, 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 a writer, Pat and I both know, who literally went insane doing that like he just destroyed himself he got stuck on one story and he was writing it for five years and I mean the story went from about 5,000 words to 2,500 words to a novel back down to about 5,000 words and it was just you could just see him get lost in his own head he could never ever come out again I don't think he ever wrote prose again after that I think it just (laughs) wrecked him
1: yeah Yeah, I think that's true. I got, I got, uh, I started writing back in the 60s, and I was working on this novel, and the longer I worked on it, the shorter it got. (laughs) I kept, I kept refining it, you know, and refining it, and finally I sort of, uh, sort of gave up. I I, 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 sort of a little older than you guys, and I was in uh, before they had, uh, now there's a creative writing MFA program at every, every community year, college, yeah. you yeah. know, at Next Exit College in <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> you know, but, uh, know. <laughs> but they didn't have a lot of them back in the 60s, when, early 60s when I was in college. I mean, they, we did have a creative, a guy came and did a creative writing course at the University of Louisville where I was going to school. And I took it. And it was really interesting. This guy's name was David Madden, and uh, he was a novelist—not a famous novelist or anything. But what what he did—the uh, only thing we he had all of us read uh, James M. Kane, and then we had to write in the manner of James M. Kane. <laughs> good, and good. It was a really good thing to do. I don't write it, I don't think, in the manner of James M. Kane, but it's a good thing to learn how to do. You know? It's
3: that it, it's that thing that that that. You know, in writing, you're—it's you're, frowned on, but it's like in every other art form. You listen to guitarists; the imitate the guitarists. You, you 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 go to uh, painters. What do they do? They go to the museum. They sit in front of the painting. They copy the paintings. Playing, learning a voice, learning, yeah. What, however, you write in your head, have, being thrust into someone else's style—that's incredibly yeah, I think it's good, good stuff. Yeah. That's,
1: and uh, when when I teach a. Uh, I used to teach a science fiction course. I don't write now, but I never allowed people to just write whatever they wanted to. They had to come in, bring me an idea, an original idea, and then they had to dramatize that idea in a straightforward fashion. And then whatever else they want to do, fine. But I figure if they're in the course, it's like you're in a painting course. You need to learn how to do hair. You need to learn how to do hands, you know, Mm -hmm. or else, you know, uh, that's the way I
3: do it. Did you make them, um, I remember... I think it was when I taught a clarion I was after you because everyone was just like on the floor weeping because you'd made them write, read Conrad. (laughs) And I kept wondering, like, did you make them write like Conrad? Because that would be really cool. (laughs) We had to (laughs) to to, read The Good
1: Shepherd. Yes, it was, it was, uh, ah, it was C.S. Forrester, 90 pages of The Good Shepherd. And I still think it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, um, a great piece of it was brilliant. I, th- yeah. I think it was
5: a great idea. Everyone else yeah. was pissing and
1: moaning. About oh yeah, the no, Bible they were p- p- they <laughs> were very pissed off. They were very pissed off. Uh, but you know, um, I, I, there's a lot of ways to go at it. But uh, it's interesting to hear. Like now, when you take this novel in, what do you have a title? What's the novel? What is the novel? What is it?
2: Oh boy, uh, it's a YA <laughs> middle grade middle grade reader. Uh, it's it, you know I just said That's I didn't write. So- what? So it's a lot like the short. Story. Actually, it's near future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of
1: drugs and sex.
2: Um, it's uh, you know I'm only I'm only a third of the way through it, but um, uh, it, it's poor kid gets finally gets the the kit where he can genetically modify his own pet. Um, and uh, but he gets an off-brand sort of <laughs> gene tech kit and he, and he kinda tweaks it and you know all hell breaks loose and cool. Uh, cool. and you know got the, the ninja sidekick female character and I'm still I'm still working out the details and, and um, but but yeah that's that's sort of the, the general idea of, of the YA here.
1: And what what writers influenced you to, to how did you get into it? Not that novel, but the, the business.
2: The business.
1: The <laughs> the, the business. activity. The,
2: well, you the know, endeavor. I I wrote. Well, I wrote in college a little bit. Mostly, it was really angsty poetry, and um, but it wasn't really. I have to give credit. I wasn't really until I actually. You were living with her, Cliff, uh, Marianne Mohanraj. Um, I met her the first year I was in California. And she said, I'm not taking poetry for this na- erotica anthology that I'm editing, but I will take short fiction. Write me a story. And I'm like, well, I don't write fiction. And she's like, yeah, you can. Just do it. And Marianne is like this you can't say no to, you can't say no to Marianne. <laughs> if you're in her sphere, it's its just a compelling. So, So I did. And, you know, at first I wrote – stories that were thinly veiled, things that really happened to me, and, and I've learned not to do that, and thank God I learned that before Facebook, <laughs> and, um, <Yeah. laughs> and, but yeah, so, so she was the one who really got me writing, it sort of fell out of it a little bit, and uh, this is, I'm giving all this credit to other people, but, but then I met my husband, Tim Pratt, um, who politely read my stories and told me they showed a lot of promise. I'm sure he was much more flattering than that at the time. But, um, <laughs> but you know, with Tim in the house, it's really hard if you you know if you have you know I want to be a writer, but it's really hard to like have him be there and be working so hard. And and he gets twitchy if he's not writing. You know, so it it's a great influence on me. And he he just kind of drew me into the science fiction world and we went to conventions together and right. you know meeting just yeah it's just you suddenly you're around these ideas stuff like this you, you your head starts popping and you you know i find it much easier to write The stuff fuels me to like get out there and try new things cool.
1: so. how'd you end up at clarion if you didn't know what the hell you were doing <laughs> uh
3: i Read some clarion anthologies at that point, and I'd heard so about.
1: Reading it. That kind of
3: stuff. Oh, I was one of those kids who started out. Um, yeah, when I was, I mean, I, I've been reading genre stuff my whole life. I mean, um, there was always some of those old books around, and you know, you go to the used bookstore, and there was always a bin that was like a quarter for these old, you know, everything from H. G. Wells, to just they were real a
1: quarter when they were new.
3: They were a quarter when they were new. Yeah, they were still a quarter, damn it. And, uh, you know, everything from like H.G. Wells, like Doc Savage, and then just anything with rockets when I was a kid. I mean, you know, the space age, right? So, uh, yeah. And then I got, I, I, you know, when I went to L.A., I went to L.A. to be a writer. Um, and Clarion kind of got me there because I was still in Houston at the time and I knew I wanted to break out of that. And, you know, and, and the other thing was I've been reading enough science fiction that. the 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 poster they had up to apply to clarion had been the previous year but and in my year I didn't know some of the names as well but like the previous year but like Roger Zelazny and uh, Ellison and some other people whose work you know I knew really intimately and and really Zelazny was the one that jumped out at me so I was like okay if Roger Zelazny's teaching something I think I can learn I think I can learn something from Roger Zelazny so uh yeah you know he wasn't actually teaching that year, but uh, also I was in school at the time, and I really was the worst student in regular school on earth. I mean, there was this incident where they just completely lost control of me, and I was just, after this point. The um,
1: incident where they lost control of you. Like,
3: yeah. It was their problem. It was their problem. It was <laughs> their fault.
2: <laughs> it was
3: entirely their fault.
2: Yeah, me and I, will,
3: I can tell you exactly what it was. <laughs> um i was raised very you know straight arrow public school education everybody had and you know you get all the american history that's all the you know the little touchstones and all the the wonderful dates and um god forbid i read books outside of school and um we learned all about christopher columbus and what a great guy he was in discovering america and at the same time I was reading this, um, being a young man, uh, of course, I was reading a book on torture, the history of torture, which is then inevitably you read about the Inquisition. And then suddenly, there's this Queen Isabella um, in the whole story about the Inquisition. And Queen Isabella was this psycho-anti-Semitic nut job who funded the Inquisition. And I'm looking at the dates, and I'm kind of going back to school and going, Isn't this an interesting coincidence? There's a Spanish queen called Isabella (laughs) who uh, hired this dude named (laughs) Torquemada to torture and kill all the Jews um, at about the same time. And it's like this very kind of mumbling like, yeah, it was the same one. (laughs) And that incident of not being lied to by school, but just that giant sin of omission of that revelation that we're really not being told the whole story, the real story here. I just never believed a word after that. And it was
1: Nancy Pelosi about (laughs) that.
3: Nancy, dear Nancy, here's my Torquemada story for you. But that after that, I was just kind of, not uncontrollable. I was a, I was raised by a nice Southern lady, so I was a polite person. But I just didn't give a damn. I didn't trust him or believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of had to find my own way after that. I just the educational system no longer applied to me.
1: All right, makes sense. Cool. So I have one other question for Heather. Maybe other people do. You did a paper on um, Octavia Butler. Oh yeah. Mm. What was yeah. that about?
2: Oh wow, that was a while ago. Um, it was on see if I can, re- I don't remember the subtitle exactly. It was It was basically, I had read all of her books up to that point and had noticed that every book used eugenics um, in a way to compel the characters to do stuff outside of their, you know, outside of what they wanted to do. Um, but, oh gosh, it's been so long since I wrote that paper. Uh, I, I'm a huge Octavia Butler fan. She's uh, quite possibly my favorite you know uh science fiction writer and uh yeah i, no. I <laughs> gosh i'm sorry i wish i knew you were going to ask me about that i would have uh, Isn't
4: it scary when someone write, asks you about your own work and you're going oh
2: yeah i yeah. i'm really proud of that ar- that, <laughs> <laughs> that that article too it's on strange horizons if you if you want to check it out and uh, um uh, yeah it's it, it just sort of I sort of realized this theme in, in her in her in her uh, in her stories that you know you've got this outside influence um, you know, kind of melding with the, with the humans and, and making them into something other yeah okay. cool
1: yeah. well on that note anybody got any other comments I mean we've had some pretty interesting readers tonight and we're going to have some pretty interesting readers next month. What's our date? Where'd Rita go? What's it? Jacob, what's the date next month? He me. doesn't know the damn date either. 20th? Or Ju- 20th? Well, Pat ought to know. It's well, she's I, re- I know it's around then. Okay, <laughs> it's somewhere around. It's the
4: 20th. June, June, yeah. June 20th. I have it from the expert. Uh, Saturday,
1: June 20th. And we're going to have three readers, the Shameless Hussies. and. Raising uh, Oh, the shameless! Oh, the shameless! They're on. Yeah, they're on Long Island, right? Okay. All right. So uh, maybe we'll see you then. And uh, thank you very much for taking part. Richard (laughs) and Helen.